0: Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
1: Here's the 0-2. And Reese swings, hits one high in the air, straightaway center Get field, up. turning his Allen, going Get back, up. he looks up at yeah. the wall,
2: and it is gone! Dead central for Reese Hoskins! It's his fourth hit of the night, and it's a
3: two-run, tenth-inning homer. And the Phillies lead it 4-2. to two. Good morning, everybody. It is, well, a couple of minutes after 10 as we get the show here today. And there you hear it. Last night, the Phillies win it in extra innings, score two and a tenth, beat the Pirates four to two. They are now 53 and 47. They own, well, kind of that last playoff spot. I'm Glenn Mack now, joined today and very excited to be joined today by my new Saturday partner, Philadelphia Inquirer columnist. Local boy, Mike Sealski. Mike, welcome to the station.
4: Glenn, I am so excited. That's right, a good start. you got to turn the mic. There yeah. you go. Where is
3: it? <laughs> he got you. I'll tell you next break, but he got you. Moshe got you. You're on.
4: Cheltenham guys pulling pranks on me. Jeez. <laughs> um No, thank you, Glenn. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, I guess I'm getting hazed on my first day. Uh, and that's a that's a good way to begin,
3: yeah anyway you uh moving forward in case people did not hear the announcement earlier this week, every Sunday, I will be with my old pal, my original w i p partner, my good friend Jody McDonald I'm very excited about that, and every Saturday right here with Mike sealski, which I find very exciting mike and I said this the other day um when I announced uh, and you were with me on Angelo's show that you were joining us. I really appreciate the management of the station came to me when Ray retired and said, well, what do you want to do? And uh, there really were the two things I wanted to do. I wanted to work with Jody again, and I wanted to present somebody who is new to the audience, who's a writer first. Uh, you're a columnist who does very compelling work, has strong opinions. Uh, and I think, uh, I think it'll be great. I'm really looking forward to this.
4: I am too, Glenn. Uh, as I said the other day too, when we were on with Angelo, I am under no illusions that my size nine feet – are going to fit into Ray Dinger's Joel Embiid-sized <laughs> shoes. But all I can do is try to... Uh, approach and match the uh, the level of excellence that you guys established in this show. So
3: well, I'll do my best. I'm looking forward to it. And by the way, Ray is going to join us today at noon for a little guest appearance, kind of a special uh, Scheib Sports moment that nobody is better than Ray to set up. All right, let's talk about yesterday night's game and what it means. We saw that. Uh, we heard the home run by Hoskins hit four in the game. Nice job by Bailey Falter, of all people, who's probably... I hope, is out of a job in a couple of days. Goes <laughs> goes six strong. Uh, nice finish by Connor Brogdon, all these names. All right, so Mike, they've won three in a row. They won four of the last five. As I said, as of now, they, they're uh, a little ahead of St. Louis for that final wild card spot. And here we are, um, two days ahead of the trade deadline. Um,
4: what do you think? I think... Dave Dombrowski's history as a general manager suggests that he's absolutely going to make a move. I don't think anybody would dispute that the Phillies need to make a move. The primary question is, what move do you make? Uh, do you try to improve the defense? Do you get a contact hitter? I know there was a lot of discussion on the station earlier this week about the move the Yankees made. Uh you know, to add to their lineup and all of that. Ben Intendi, who's a nice, nice player, very nice player. Yes, very nice player. But I think the consensus, and I think uh, the way the Phillies are thinking based on uh, everybody who's around the team and the way they're talking about it, is you got to help the back end of the rotation. Uh, you've got two top of the line starters and Zach Wheeler and sometimes Aaron Nola. So who do you go get and what are you willing to give up to get them? Uh, we were talking about this before the show. I'd be willing to give up one of their three main prospects that they have in the low minor leagues three terrific young pictures the one i would not be willing to give up or at least least willing to give up would be andrew painer mm-hmm. uh, who's dominating uh down at single a uh and is 19 and looks like a, a budding star okay but uh but you've got to do something because you are in the thick of it and your payroll is through the roof and the expectation is with this general manager with the franchise at this position and state it's in right now, you've got to make a
3: move. Yeah, and I think what you said um, about the position the franchise in is is important because they have the two hundred. How much is the payroll this year? Two hundred something million dollar payroll. Yep. And the owner doesn't want that payroll to miss the playoffs. You are, you know, in for a dime in for a dollar. So if you've gone this far, you can't sit still at the trade deadline. Let me just uh, just to, to wet people's appetite on this day. In previous years, 2009, Phillies get Cliff Lee from Cleveland. That was a fine day for Phillies fans. <laughs> yes, it was. 2010, on this day, Phillies get Roy Oswalt from Houston. That was a fine day. Less fine than Cliff Lee, but still fine. Mm-hmm. All right. 2011, on this day, and gosh, I remember where I was. I was at Eagles practice doing a show with Rob Ellis because it was the same <laughs> it was the same day. They, Eagles got Namdi Asamoah, and the Phillies got...
4: Hunter Pence. Correct. And good game. Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked for a while. It did. It did work for and a while. I- he was a productive player here. He really was. It's uh in a way, I think it's in a way it's kind of a shame because the, the franchise took it started taking its downturn yeah. not long after he arrived.
3: God, worst swing I ever saw, worst fundamental swing I ever saw in a good major league player. And he was a good major league player. All right, we got rumors, we got rumors, we got rumors. First of all, last night, big trade in Major League Based baseball, baseball, All-Star. Uh, right hand pitcher Luis Castillo goes from the Reds to the Mariners. They got a bucket of prospects, including Seattle's top five. I'm not in a position to assess how good Seattle's prospects are. Luis Castillo, you I infer from what you said, again, he's an all star. You're thinking less than that. What do you give me like a comp of like something that people would know? Because I have mine.
4: Yeah. I mean, we talked about this before the show. Um, you know, in 2006, when the Phillies were trying to make a run, Pat Gillick went out and got Jamie Moyer, mm-hmm. who was probably a little bit above what I think the expectation ought Still to pitching, be. I believe. <laughs> I think he is, um, at age 77. Yeah. Um, but that's a little beyond, I think, what people ought to expect from the Phillies at this stage. You know, one name that's um, that's interesting that's being batted around a little bit, my colleague at the Inquirer, Scott Lauber, mentioned this, Noah Syndergaard from the Angels uh, is oh, out there. Oh, man, once upon a
3: time. Yeah, exactly. I would not have put him in that once. A- oh, I— you know, man, I lo- he was with the Mets, so I didn't love him
4: to succeed, but he was
3: so fun to watch. He was a lot Aww. of fun to watch, always know. hurt.
4: Yeah, Thor, right? Yeah, one of the great nick- oh, nicknames
3: in baseball, the flowing blonde hair, uh, and all that.
4: Yeah, but I think you, you got to go. That's kind of the tier you're looking at. Um, and I know you're, I think your name is a perfect, uh, kind of analogy for where we are. <laughs> Fat Joe, yeah, absolutely. Fat Joe Blanton mm-hmm.
3: bringing another one of those. That's, and, and that is what they need. They have the one and the two starter, um. Who's? I mean, I guess we're living with Ranger Suarez. We're, I think you're going to have to. Right? Okay. And so if you get four starters, you're okay in the playoffs. Uh, the name that came up a lot last night was John, uh, John Heyman put out was Zach Plisak of Cleveland, um, who is is going to cost you a lot.
4: Yeah, he is. And, you know, you look at his numbers and the track of his career, you say, why does a guy like that, who's a very solid, respectable pitcher, Why is he going to cost a lot? But, as you just said, you look at what the Mariners gave up to get Luis Castillo. I believe it was their number one overall prospect, their number three overall prospect, their number five overall prospect. That's the market right now. And if you're the Phillies, if you're Dave Dombrowski, are you really in a position to walk away from having to give up that much to get what you need in the... All right, so
3: your bottom line is you would give up anybody but Painter. Yes. That's your untouchable. Yes. Okay. My bottom line is, I would give a painter if I can get somebody who I can control for for you know a couple of years. I'm not going to do it for one year rental, but if I can get it for somebody who I think is going to be a, a top 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 three pitcher in my rotation for the next two or three years, I'll do it because pr- I, I, pr- I'm not a prospect hoarder. I think mm-hmm. that with prospects. When I look, I, I know it can backfire. I mean, I you know, I'll go way back and tell you Doyle Alexander for John Smoltz did yep. not work out for the Detroit Tigers, okay? And there are certainly many examples of that, but there are more examples. If we go back and look at those trades the Phillies made that Ruben made and before him— um, uh, Pat Gillick. Thank you. Gillick made. So many of those, it's like, oh, my God, we can't give up, like, this Nap guy. He's going to be great.
4: Does the name Kyle Drabeck mean anything Right, Kyle
3: Drabeck. His father was great. He's going to be great. Well, he wasn't. And they get hurt and so on. I remember, listen, Sixto Sanchez w- looked like he was going to be something special. And the poor kid, he's never can pitch. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not hoarding prospects. I want to make the playoffs, even if they knocked knock down the first round. It's been a more than a decade since this franchise made the playoffs. It's the second longest drought in baseball, the longest being— Seattle, Seattle. who traded yesterday
4: for... Luis Castillo. I'm in, pal. (laughs) I am in. You know what? Honestly, Glenn, I might be scarred uh, as somebody who has covered franchises in this town who either couldn't develop prospects over time Mm -hmm. or traded away ones who became excellent Mm -hmm. with other organizations. I'm thinking of the Phillies. I'm thinking of the Flyers. So... That probably is informing some of my hesitation here to give yeah, up this. Yeah, I'm prospects.
3: in. I'm doing it, and I want to make the playoffs and everything else be damned and Dombrowski. Make a deal! Make a deal! What are we? It's uh, Monday—do we know what time, Mosh? Noon? Three? Something like that. Whatever. We're like 52 hours away from it. Let's get something done. Uh, 2 on 5, 592-9494 if you want to check in. All right, let us switch to your Philadelphia Eagles— There is in this city a a very strong sense of optimism about that. Sat down earlier this week, read my Philadelphia Inquirer, Mike Silsky column. You share that optimism. Give it to me in a nutshell.
4: I would not expect the Eagles to reach or win the Super Bowl this season. However, given the moves they made in the offseason, given the young core they already had, it would not completely shock me if they did. Boil down, that's where I come down on this. Hmm.
3: I think I would say I give him a 60% chance to win the division. I give him a 50% chance to win a playoff game. I give him a percent chance to make the Super Bowl.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Not Which, quite I don't know.
3: And and you know who said it so well yesterday was, was Kelsey. Um, oh, yeah. When he he said, and by the way, uh, Channel Six uh, did put that dirty word on the air last night. They did. Yeah, I don't think they meant to. Wow. They, they, I don't mean to rat out Channel Six. I like Channel Six. I watch Channel Six, but but they're doing it like Jason Kelsey had something to say. He said every time people think we're going to be Boop, we're good, <laughs> and then every time people think we're going to be, and they ran the word.
4: Wow.
3: We're bad. Rated
4: our local news. Yeah, I don't think
3: they meant to do that. Anyway. Um, however. Anyway. The thing with with football, more than anything, it's it's a war of attrition, right? Yes. And guys get hurt, and it lo- looks like a good season can be down. But I think they're gonna be good. I think <sighs> eleven and six. I know they, the the over is nine and a half.
4: Yeah, that's why surpri- is that that surprises me. I think the doubts and hesitations about Jalen Hurts uh, play into that uh, over under being what it is. Uh, but I'm with you. I think eleven and six kind of should be the bar of expectation for this team given that they went 9 and 8 last season given that their schedule on paper looks to be as weak as it is um, they made enough additions in the offseason and just naturally improved that they should be better mhm
3: um okay um you wrote a you the column you wrote earlier this week and i know you you kind of you approached it gently and gingerly but everybody in this town who is an eagles fan remembers f- 2004 as the year we all went to Lehigh. Yes, And it was a crazy scene. They, they signed Javon Kurse, who at the time was the best young pass rusher in the NFL. Didn't quite pan out, but you know, still, was productive here. Was part of that team. And then the whole T.O. thing happens. And he comes in, and that's what they needed. We needed a wide receiver. They got the greatest wide receiver in the league. And it was insane, and it was a great year. And you, my friend
4: evoked 2004 i did what the hell are you thinking <laughs> well i'm thinking that the two big moves of the eagles offseason were signing a pass rushing defensive end slash linebacker and hassan reddick and making a major trade for uh, a top light wide receiver in aj brown i think those that 2014 oh. and this 2022 team are at different stages of their development i mean part of the reason that That 4 preseason training camp, as you mentioned, was so wild. I mean, it was like uh, the magical mystery tour or something. The the
3: line of cars was so insane. Remember, there was one day Andy Reid couldn't get there. 25,000
4: people on a Friday morning at Lehigh. uh, It was great, and we broadcast from there. It was phenomenal. It was crazy, but that team had been building to that, and there had been so much disappointment and exhilaration over the previous three or four years, and now they get cursed. now they get Owens, and it's Super Bowl or bust, This situation, obviously, is different. I think that there are expectations, and as Kelsey pointed out yesterday, often when there are such expectations, the Eagles disappoint, and when there aren't any expectations, they uh, go ahead and and have a season that makes everybody happy. Um, But this is a good football team. Uh, Howie Roseman had an excellent offseason in terms of improving what this team needed to improve. I think the two question marks, as everybody has said, and I'm not breaking any news here, are Jalen Hurts and Jonathan Gannon. And that's the wild card right there.
3: Now we will get into those. 215-592-9494. Let's talk to Chuck in Worcester. You're on with uh, Glenn and Mike. Boy, it's going to take me a while to say that.
5: You're What's on with good Mike morning. Sealski and Glenn
3: Macknow. Hey, Chuck, how are you?
5: I'm good. Listen, uh, Mike, I just wanted to call and say, I was a coach in baseball at Massachusett for 20 years while you were a student at Upper Dublin. And I just want to mention something to you that with good stock you came from, Jeff Huddleston, Lou Lombardo, you, you were among some very, very good people, and I'm sure you know that.
4: Oh, I absolutely do, Chuck. I mean, I, these
5: guys are true. And, and something you probably also know, that during that period you were there, Lower Marion, Upper Dublin and State College, were the three top schools in the state for the uh, ACUME, uh, uh, college board scores. I'm sure you know that also.
4: I had an incredible education at Upper Dublin High School.
5: And, um, and you brought that curve up or down.
3: Well, I don't want to brag or anything, <laughs> but... Yeah, okay. But Chuck, you know, what, I, do you, what do you got on Sirianni?
5: Well, I, I let me say this to you. I was just talking to Motion. I'm not sure where we're at with him. Um, and I, I would really like... Glenn, I've never really heard you speak what you really think of the guy, and I do mm-hmm. want to hear what okay. What Mike, what Mike thinks. Of
3: okay. Uh, I'll go first, and then Mike. And Chuck, thanks for the call. Thank Be you. well. Uh, I, listen, I... Like everybody, I had serious doubts about Sirianni. Whatever six, eight weeks into last season, he seemed uh, overwhelmed by it all. But this team really came together. Uh, I give him a lot of credit for admitting what was wrong, uh, which was you know trying to force that that passing game. Remember that game against Dallas where they had four rushes the whole game and got destroyed. And I give him credit for being flexible. Uh, and as we learn later, kind of farming out the play calling to somebody else. I think his players really like him. I think he's a hard worker. I'm pretty sold on Sirianni. You mentioned Jonathan Gannon. I have a bigger question there. We'll talk about that more. But I'm, uh, I'm gung-ho on Sirianni.
4: Yeah, I was skeptical after week two. I thought that that loss to the 49ers where they had the four shots at the goal line and couldn't score. And the primary reason they couldn't score was, to me, his play calling. Uh, gave me pause. But as you said, Glenn, they got better as the season went along. Part of that's a function of the schedule. Part of it is just they got better. And I feel pretty good with him there. I feel like he is, at minimum, a competent NFL coach. I don't think he's going to commit the kind of mistake that is going to cost his team game after game after game. I think he's growing. I think he's good in getting better. Um, so I'm, I'm more optimistic about him. And I do like... I think he's a... What was the phrase that Jeffrey Lurie liked to use? Emotional intelligence. I I think he has emotional intelligence, and I think As that's As in important. don't look
3: at Chip Kelly? Uh,
4: who? What? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you look at Chip Kelly? He didn't look yeah. at anybody else. No. He didn't look at you.
3: Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, it was weird. Just for people who don't know, I'm going to just spend a minute here, because I, I had that experience, right? Um, I used to do, at that time, I did a, a weekly webcast show for the Eagles, mm-hmm. right? So I would be down... There And I'd be down in that, you know, that NovaCare dining room and stuff and just minding my own business. But you would pass him in the hall. And normally, if you pass somebody in the hall, even if you don't know who they are, you just give him a nod. Yeah. You give him a hello, you know, one of these, How you doing? He would look through you like you were a pane of glass. He just
4: ghosted everybody. Uh,
3: and, in, and Including th- not, people a lot closer than right, us. Right, yeah. exactly.
4: I mean, the, honestly, I think that was the primary reason... Uh, that Jeffrey Lurie ended up firing him. It wasn't just that they were six and nine. It was that I'm going six and nine with this guy mm-hmm. who acts like I'm not even here.
3: Yeah. They wouldn't talk to the owner. I guess we shouldn't get offended. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> 215 592 five, nine, two, 94. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, threw a couple questions out here at the start. Love to hear your opinions on that. One is trade deadline, we found out, Monday 6 p.m., so we are, let me do the math. 48 plus eight, 56, 55 hours and 39 minutes away. Um, you didn't need a slide rule or a graphing calculator for nah, that or anything. I can do that. Uh, anyway, um, I'm willing. I'll trade anybody. I want to make the damn playoffs. <laughs> Mike's a little bit more reserved. He wants to hold on to a top prospect or two. What do you think? And um, just kind of general optimism about the Eagles, your thoughts on Syrian. And we're going to get into how much they are practicing or not. We're going to get into certainly discussing the quarterback, but uh, keeping it kind of open for you and introducing Mike. If you want to talk to him, if you have any questions for Mike, if you've been reading him in the Inquirer, certainly welcome you to check in. 215-592-9494. With Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game.
0: shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash odysseypodcast.
4: Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high,
5: it is far, it is gone.
4: Stream minor league affiliates.
5: The Midwest
1: League home run leader.
4: Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only 3 dollars per month. Deep
1: left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game.
4: Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
1: The count two and two. The bases are full. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out and jose alvarado strikes out gamel and the pirates leave the bases loaded never a dull moment kratzy
3: Scott Franski, uh, last night, uh, you had Jose Alvarado returning to have a great second half of the year, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> we all did. Hey, by the way, shame on me. I'm sitting here bragging about how good I am at math, and I missed the trade deadline by a whole day. It's not Monday. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. I always think it's the first, and it's this year it's the second. It's the Tuesday. Appreciate the caller who corrected
4: C, that. See, that, that C-plus you got in trigonometry, it's going to come back to haunt you.
3: Did you take Trigonometry?
4: long time ago yeah well
3: me too <laughs> i don't even remember what those all were trigonometry calculus it's like i took them i don't think i could do them M-
4: my older son is entering sixth grade and he does math now that i cannot assist him with
3: that's a big thing when when your kids start to do homework that you can't help them with is a real turning point
4: oh i'm turning
3: <laughs> let's uh let's talk to larry in ridley park you're on with uh, mike and glenn hey larry Hey, Mike, Glenn, how you guys
2: doing? All right.
3: Hi, Larry. Let's see. Uh,
2: Mike, uh, I think it was right between, maybe during spring training, that the Phillies and the Pirates had a possibility of a trade for Brian Reynolds. And at that point, what the Pirates were asking for was Andrew Painters, uh, uh, Abel, and Stott for um, Reynolds.
5: Mm-hmm. So
2: my proposal to you is this. What would it take? And remember, I don't blame you. We're not giving away Andrew Painter. We're not going to do that. But who would you give up if you could get Jose, Quintina, and you could get Reynolds? What would you give up and what do you think they would need to give up?
4: That's a great question, Larry. Uh, first of all, let me preface this by saying, as much as Dave Dombrowski likes to make big moves, all the indications publicly seem to be that he is going to be hesitant to move One of their one or more of their major prospects, right? The three guys at the top who we're looking at here are Andrew Painter, who's 19. And we're not giving him up. We're not giving him up. The the Phillies are not going to give him up. There's Mick Abel, who's 20. Mm
3: -hmm. I would give him up.
4: And then there's Griff McGarry, who's 23. I would give him up. I would think certainly
3: think that he had a good outing last night,
4: by the way. Yes, he did. So, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what you're you have to look at here. I uh, for me, Painter is untouchable.
6: Uh, exactly. How about ops the catcher? What do you think? Do you oh, think he's hobby? Oh, yeah. Oh hobby. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's for right. Correcting yeah. me. No
4: problem. Uh, I would. I would be hesitant only because look at JT Realmuto now. You got that contract. Yeah. You're not going to move him, but okay. Is he a player in decline?
3: Well, so here's the thing. And he mentioned Brian Reynolds and Jose Quintana, right? You're not getting both of those guys no. for all of that, right? The it's a seller's market. There are a lot of teams in the race right now because they added the wild card spot. So the Phillies and the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Giants and there's all of these teams in the race. There are fewer teams that are out of the race, which means there's not a lot of players on the market. Basic economics, man. They're yes. they're gonna they're gonna put you in the, through the ringer. Um, I think Quintana is a guy you can get, and I think he's a guy who pitched against the Phillies yeah. last night. Look good. And how do you describe him before the show? I love myself a good crafty lefty. <laughs> I do. Too. Speaking of Jamie Moyer, yes. Um, I think if you want Quintana, it's going to cost you two of those prospects. I, I mean Reynolds, forget it. You don't. You can you cannot have what it
4: costs for Reynolds. No. And look, at at some level too, if you are the Phillies, and my colleague David Murphy wrote this last week, you kind of have to count on. A, the reinforcements that presumably you're getting back offensively in Gene Segura first and then Bryce Harper eventually. Mm -hmm. And then you have to hope that everybody's favorite uh, clubhouse interactor with the media, Nick Castellanos, actually starts to hit Mm. because you have invested $100 million in -hmm. him Mm -hmm. and you're not paying him to have a 600 OPS.
3: Right. Some indications maybe he's coming out of that. It may be a lost season for him, and, you know, listen, he's got a track record from the past that's pretty good, but we may not see it. Hey, I wanted to mention one other thing um, that's completely unrelated to all this, but just while it crossed my mind, I don't know if everybody saw yesterday, Mike, I know you did. There was a fire yesterday that destroyed Jim Stakes, man, down on South and 4th. Jim Steaks to me is one of the essential cheesesteak spots in this city. It's it's a must stop on South Street. You can argue if it's one of the top five cheesesteak places in the city. That's fine, but it's, it's been there since 1975, and I mean it, it looks like it's a complete loss. They're going to have to start from scratch. It's
4: such a shame. I was I was following that story on social media and some of the local uh, TV news station websites yesterday. You're right, Glenn. It is one of the essential places. There are only four or five of them, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody can kind of run their names off, whether you're talking about John's Roast Pork or DeLisandro's, or, you know... I think you just named the two best. The the two best, right. Uh, I'm a John's Roast Pork guy. What are you? uh, I'm more of a D'Alessandro's guy. Okay, no problem. Um, But Jim's is right up there. Uh, It's funny. I can remember doing a story years ago about a um, uh, a local uh, documentary film crew that was filming its movie, and it got its idea for the documentary sitting in Jim's steaks and eating their cheesesteaks. And that, and that was where it hit them. So, um, yeah, you just, you feel for the owners, you feel for the neighborhood because it's such a fixture. Yeah.
3: There was somebody named and I don't follow this person, so I don't know who he is, but I give him credit on Twitter at Mark Masick tweeted, this is Philadelphia's version of when Notre Dame cathedral burned down.
4: That's pretty (laughs) close. I know Mark and he's a very funny guy. Oh yeah. He used to work at the Inquirer. Okay. I didn't know him. Um, just worked with him for a little while and just a a really sharp sense of humor and he's you know in a a strange way he's right on with that yeah it really hurt i'm watching that thing and at first i'm hoping ah, it's not going to be anything
3: and it's just it's a shame so our best to them and uh we really hope that um they have the opportunity to, to build back ken silver is the name of the owner and ken we really wish you all the best um All right, I want to work in the issue that has been the issue of the week, which is Eagles practices. Are they too short? What does it mean? Um, And we have heard from – A lot of people I respect, kind of the old heads, football guys, okay? And we'll be hearing from one later today, Ray, when we talk to him at noon. And I imagine Ray's opinion will be much like the one that uh, John Ritchie and Ike Reese and people who've really been around the league Mm -hmm. express, which is you can't get ready for the season by having a 58 minute walkthrough, having 23 plays, and then the next day, what's a green, yellow, red? Do you understand what that's about? I
4: don't, no. Okay, okay. I just kept looking at my watch on Wednesday, like 58 minutes. Oh my
3: okay, gosh. So, all right, so you're there. Yes. Okay, so give me the report, and I know you don't quite have as great vantage as you used to, right? G- g- give me the report from what
4: you saw. It's, it's very efficient. They are moving from one place on the field to the other. There is not much wasted time at all it still for me takes some getting used to because i came up covering the eagles at lehigh during training camp and andy reed would run long morning practices and then come back in the afternoon what he did wasn't much different from the way dick Vermeil had done it in the 70s and the 80s not quite as brutal as Vermeil. dick
3: had three a day
4: yeah. yeah um and i think the, would, the
3: hotter the better yeah
4: he would wake them up in the middle of the night and have them do sit-ups and stuff um but i think Given modern football and given the fact that these athletes now have their own personal trainers and stay in relatively excellent shape apart from training camp, the whole point of training camp to prepare these guys for the season isn't quite as acute as it used to be, if that makes sense. They don't need to work as hard as they used to because they're already in shape.
3: That's the jumping jack and calisthenics part of it. Yeah. The football actual part of it the preparing for plays, the hitting because you're going to get hit. The building your body into not being in shape but being in football shape. Are we are we losing that? And are are the Eagles more I know it's that way around the league and I know the collective bargaining agreement now limits tr- dramatically what used to uh, what they from what they used to do, right? And that's fine, right? We, we, I mean, everybody remembers the the horrible Corey Stringer incident. Yes. Nobody
4: wants that again. Okay, so they don't do that. But it almost seems like the Eagles are way
3: in the extreme.
4: It worked for them last year. They had a fairly healthy season, all things considered. Uh, I think more teams are moving this way. I also think that somebody's going to have to show that the extra time at training camp actually leads to better outcomes. You know... Andy Reid is always kind of cited, as the, as I, I just did, as a guy who put his players through the ringer in training camp. Mm-hmm. Look at some of those teams and the starts they got off to. They did not come barreling out of the gate often under Andy Reid. Usually it was 1-2, mm-hmm. and 2-2. Two, two and two. Obviously 2004 was an exception, but they had such a good team that season they were going to beat anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I need to see some hard evidence that, well, oh, okay. okay.
3: I don't know oh. that I can give you hard
4: evidence. And I know last
3: year Nick was a rookie coach, and I know he had a young quarterback who, you know, had to kind of learn his way. And I get all of that, but they did start last season two and five, mm-hmm. and they did average seventy penalty minutes a game, mm-hmm. and they did not look prepared in some of those early games. They did not look together early. Again, there are a lot of other circumstances, and still COVID and all that. So I'll give you that. And I don't want to use last year as an as a absolute indicator, but if they start out this year poorly and, and I hate to be that, you know, hey, if they lose one of their first three games, this is why. I'm not gonna do that. Right. Stuff happens. But I don't I didn't think they were prepared going into last season. And if they look as unprepared going into this season against wild man Dan Campbell, whose team's <laughs> biting each other's kneecaps at practice, you
4: know. Yeah. I, I'm I'm going to look at you. Well, if they're... If, I'm blaming Sealski. If teeth marks on your kneecaps are an indication of how prepared a team is, <laughs> the Lions will be well ahead of everybody in the NFL. Uh-huh. Um, I would look at that slow start last season. D- did they look prepared for most of those first seven game for a good bit of those first seven games? No. Who else... What other factors were at play? Well, they had a game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They had a game against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They had a game... Not well-coached, but still against Dak Prescott and a stronger Cowboys that, team.
3: That was, they, they lost that game more than the Dallas won yeah. that
4: game. Um, so that was a horribly coached game. There, there were a lot of factors in play. Also, consider the strategy that they were employing through those first seven games, which was, we're going to put everything on Jalen Hurts, uh-huh. okay. and right. it did not go well. All right, I'm marking this moment okay.
3: for future discussion. All right, let's talk to, uh, if I can get this mouse working here. There it is, Carl in Ardmore. Hey, Carl, what's on your mind today?
6: Good morning. I'm walking right now, so if I sound out of breath, it's not because I'm excited to be on. But I
3: admire that. Is this this an exercise walk?
6: It is. It's a three mile walk. All right, do me a favor, though.
3: Take a break so that we don't get the wind.
6: (laughs) First of all, congratulations to the selection of your partner. The joy that you feel and enthusiasm is coming through. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Carl. very, Very, very cool. And I. I always like to hear journalists because not too many grammatical errors as exists on other shows. All right, <laughs> um, and the other the other reason I'm glad that I listen in on Saturdays uh, because it's not a circus like some other shows. It's I learn stuff. I tune in to learn stuff, and I learn stuff from you guys. Appreciate it, um, and it's so keep it up. And here's my question to you both: So Schwarber is le- is a leadoff guy? With yeah, thirty-two home runs. Yes, is that what we're up to? So I'm reminded of the guy with the Orioles who was on steroids, Brady and they Anderson. called him. Yeah, good one. He let off, and didn't he have like forty something home runs? Fifty and fifty, right? Thank you. So here's the question: Do you keep him as leadoff, where he hits one for four, one for five, and a home run, or do you move him up to three, four? To bring him more runs. I know that's been asked several times. I'd be interested in your guys' opinions.
3: All right. I, I want to get him out of leadoff because he's hitting 204. And I <laughs> I just, to me, I don't know if I'm old school or not, but a guy who's hitting 204, even though he takes a lot of walks, and he does, I don't see his leadoff hitter. My only problem with that is I don't know who I got as a leadoff hitter. I,
4: I don't know who you have either. And I think last night is an interesting case study because – Carl, I'm going to let you go because you're breathless, but okay. you can listen. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Carl. Uh, last night is an interesting case study because Schwarber came up at multiple at-bats during that game with men on base. Yeah. Um, so it's not as if a leadoff hitter is never going to come up, is, or I should say, is always going to come up with the bases empty. Um, I don't know what another option that they have right now. There's no Jimmy Rollins. There's no Lenny Dykstra on this roster who naturally fits in yeah. uh, as a leadoff hitter. Oh, so, gosh. So... If uh, if Schwarber's going to keep you know hitting the first pitch of the game for a home run, I think you go with that.
3: Do you know what the highest on base percentage is among Philly, not counting Bryce Harper? Oh, I tell me who you think it is, and give me an approximate what you think it is. I will say Reese Hoskins. Correct. Look at the big brain on you. Uh, And I will say three fifty. Three forty two. Okay. And that's after four for four yesterday, or being on base four times. So you don't have. You know, Ricky Henderson, Tim Raines. You you don't, I I, just give me somebody with a 380 on base who's got a little bit of speed. They don't have that. I don't know who should lead off. I don't think it should be Schwarber, but I got nobody else. Here's my candidates, okay? Hoskins? Now, you don't want to do that, right? Okay, so that's no good. Segura's coming back, but he was having a bad year before he went in the thing. Gregorius is shot.
4: Yes. Boom? You know, it's, it's, Interesting, because he is not hitting with a lot of power. Correct. I mean, his average is high. He's got, what, a 14, 15-game hitting streak. But he's not driving the ball in the way that you would want him to drive the ball. No. Oh, God, not Herrera. (laughs) I
3: I, I cannot stand and watch that
4: guy. You know. I got no other other options. Just a quick digression. Yeah. Odubo Herrera should have entered that clubhouse last night. And thanked Reese Hoskins yeah. for saving his you-know-what after that base-running blunder yeah. oh, that he yes. committed. Oh, yeah.
3: 215-592-9494. Coming back, we're going to learn a little bit about Mike Sealski. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we'll do a little interview and find out who this new partner is, and we'll take your calls. 215-592-9494. Uh, what do we got? Uh, we got what we're watching uh, around 1125. We have the Scheib Sports. This week in fill out for sports history, which will tie in Ray Dinger later, and we will talk to you. With Mike, I'm Glenn on 94 WIP. I'm Glenn Mack now, joined by Mike Sealski. and Mike is going to be my regular co-host on Saturdays. Jody Mack will be my regular co-host on Sundays. I am very excited about all of this moving through, and Mike, I want to use this opportunity to... Kind of give the the listeners a little chance to know a little bit more about you. Um, I would hope that they read you as a very compelling columnist in the Philadelphia Inquirer. But let's talk a little bit about you. Where did you
4: grow up? So I grew up just outside the city. Uh, My parents were both city kids, both Cardinal Doherty alumni. And I grew up kind of at the nexus of Glenside, Dresher, North Hills, uh, you know, right there in Montgomery County. Uh, got the Inquirer delivered to my doorstep every morning where I read Bill Lyon and Jason Stark and yeah. Glenn Macnow and uh, Jesus. Angelo Catali. They always make me feel old mo. Sorry. They do this to me every time. Yeah. H- had to be done. Had yeah, to be yeah. done. Um so yeah, and grew up a a gigantic fan of the four major pro teams and the Philly Big Five. Uh, what's your that.
3: first Philadelphia sports memory? Your first,
4: your earliest. Uh nineteen eighty two. My dad and my grandfathers took me to my first Phillies game. I was seven years old, uh, and I cried because the Fanatic came to our section, and I wanted a kiss from the Fanatic and didn't get it. (laughs) And the Fanatic heard my cries and turned around and hit me with his little nose oh, there and oh.
3: all was well. And you were in... Okay, good. I was afraid we are going to have to call him up and see if we get him in for a redo. Uh, okay. Such childhood trauma. Okay, I get it. I get, listen, the fanatics is, is, is a huge part of this. Uh, and let, what is... Give me the time that Philadelphia sports broke your heart because we all have that story. Uh,
4: well, I mean, let's face it. Uh, the summer of 1993 was the best summer of my life mm-hmm. um, to that point. I graduated from high school that year and just spent that summer either down the shore uh, watching Phillies games, hanging out at the Ocean City Boardwalk or somewhere in Stone Harbor and watching the Phillies games on you know every night uh, with Macho Rowe and Dykstra and Dalton and Kruk and all those guys. And then um, I remember vividly game six of the 1993 World Series. Uh, was at a Flyers game with friends of mine. We were freshmen in college at LaSalle University. We're watching the Flyers game. We had bought tickets, you know, weeks earlier, so we weren't going to not go. Yeah. And at that time, nobody had cell phones. So every couple of minutes on the giant scoreboard, they would show a highlight from this game. And it's one nothing Blue Jays, 2-1 Blue Jays, 4-1 Blue Jays, 5-1 Blue Jays. And we're like, oh, what, what a lo-, And the Flyers were getting their doors blown off. What a lousy night. Then all of a sudden, this huge roar goes up from the crowd. And we're like, what's going on? And we realized that people had brought portable televisions yeah. with them to yeah. the Spectrum. Yep. And within a couple of seconds, I nice
3: to have one of those
4: on the video board. Yeah. There's Lenny Dykstra hitting a three run home run to bring the Phillies within one, five to four. Mm. We ran to the car in the parking lot. By the time we got there, the Phillies had tied the game. By the time we drove back to campus at 20th and only, the Phillies were ahead six to five. We all went to one of our dorm rooms, turned the TV on. Oh, I know how this story ends. And watched (laughs) Joe Carter hit a down-and-in Mitch Williams pitch Uh, over the left field wall. And things went silent after that. Let's just put it that way.
3: God, that was such a... It was such a um, everybody-knows-where-they-were moment. Yes. For that. Yeah. uh, That was one of those. And it was... It was one of the ones that broke our hearts, and so yes, you as a as a lad would feel that one pretty pretty strong. So you went to LaSalle University, where uh, among other things, you came across one Angelo Cataldi, who takes entire all the credit for your career.
4: Yes, he does, um, <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> he uh, he became a, a adjunct professor there in the communication department my senior year, and I never had him for class, um, but I got to know him. I was the editor of the student paper. I was writing a sports column, and I wanted to go to grad school and Angelo had been to Columbia as he is apt to tell everyone.
3: And so mark that uh, moment Most New yeah. guy comes in, takes a shot at the, you know,
4: the most important It was nice knowing you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so I got to know him a little bit and he very kindly, this is actually a great story. He uh, wrote me a letter of recommendation for Columbia and then the university lost my application. I, Went weeks without hearing from them. Yeah. I went weeks without hearing from them and went to Angelo and called them up and said, we have no application from Mike Sealski. And so I went to Angelo and said, look, I appreciate what you did, but they lost my application. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to go there. And he said,
3: wait a minute.
4: And he called them up and said, I'm an alumnus. I wrote this young man a letter of recommendation. You better find his application. And they did. Wow. And I got in. Wow. So... I owe my entire you career. You owe him a bit, don't I you? I owe my entire career, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to Angelo Catali.
3: That was some impression you did of him for owing your career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Save that, too. Mark that. You got it. Yeah, he'll hear that. All right. We'll, we'll, uh, I want to cover more of that. I want to give the people the, you're a really good chance to know you. And now um, let us talk to – let's go to Chris in Newark. You're on with uh, Mike and Glenn.
2: Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Welcome welcome, Mr. Sealski. Thank you, uh, So, yeah, I turned you on, and the first thing I heard you say was uh, you liked how Alec Boehm has an 18-game hitting streak, and but you wish that he would drive the ball a little bit more. I'm, uh, I've heard that a few times, and uh, I'm getting a little uh, tired of it because what's wrong with having a guy who hits 300, puts the ball in play, gets base hits? We have enough guys on this team who hit the long ball and strike out. I think Mike Schmidt used to say that, if you're swinging the bat right, a home run is an accident. Now, of course, that was the 70s and 80s. But if you're swinging the bat right, the home runs are going to come. And so I just really think that, you know, with with the way that he's swinging the bat now, he's perfect at, at the top of the lineup. Uh, you com- compare him to, to, um, to Cast- Castellanos, you know. I, you need a guy like that. And I think he's the most improved player on the team. Going back to April, the, uh, you know, I hate it here comment, to, to where he is now. And I think he's a guy... Along with Scott, who can be a winning ball
3: player. Um, okay. And that's something the Philly. Uh, let let, let have. Mike respond.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, Chris, first, thank you for the call and thanks for the feedback. Um, look, I, I'm not. Please don't take this as I'm being critical of or ripping Alec Bohm. I would say this um, he has walked 18 times this season in 372 at bats. That's not ideal for a leadoff hitter. Um, his on base percentage is below JT Real Mutos. Uh, It is below Bryce Harper's and uh, Reese Hoskins. It's on par with Gene Segura. And in terms of driving the ball, look, he was the number three pick in the draft. He plays what is generally regarded as a power position. Um, As well as he has hit lately, I would like to see him drive the ball more often. You're talking six home runs, uh, 15 doubles, which is okay. Um, But look... He's, you know, you're the number three pick in the draft. There's going to be a certain expectation that you perform at a certain level uh, when you're in the majors.
2: I'm, you know, I, I'm certainly not suggesting that he's the leadoff hitter. And you know, the the people you know who, who are coaching him and are you know, bringing him him along, they're all saying that he will eventually grow into his power. I just, I'm just saying that, like, I, I like the way that he he puts the ball in play right now. He's not okay. swinging out of his shoes, and I think. Again, I think the Phillies
3: need a player like that. There's nothing
2: wrong with having a guy who's going to hit 300. He's um, hit 300 twice now, and three. He's uh, hit 300 once. First was a sample season.
3: Well, okay, you know. and, th- and thanks for the call, Chris. Good stuff. Um, I'm kind of with you, and it is tough to rip a guy when he's playing well because he's playing well. But the numbers, other than the fact that he's on this really nice streak and has a decent batting uh, average, the numbers aren't good. He doesn't. Not only does he hit home runs, he didn't really hit doubles, yeah, or triples. Uh, he never walks. He doesn't steal bases. I know nobody steals bases anymore. And to uh, quote my old partner, Ray, he, along with Reese Hoskins, defensively, are the corner Corner butchers. Butchers. And so if you're going to hit for average and that's what you're going to do, you better hit 320. And and again, he's playing well now, so I don't want to rip him too much, but I don't think he's a cornerstone kind of guy.
4: Yeah, not yet anyway. And look, uh, again, I don't want to be perceived as saying Alec Bohm stinks. He clearly does not stink. Um but the Phillies don't have a lot of good options at the top of the lineup right now. Um and right now hitting Bohm third I think is perfectly fine and perfectly reasonable. Um, I actually like the pop that Schwarber gives you at the top of the lineup as a leadoff hitter. Uh I understand the logic about moving him lower in the lineup, but you know, to a certain degree with the team that they've constructed and with the injuries that they're dealing with right now. It's a bit of making chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what.
3: Neil and Mike, hang in there. We'll get you guys coming up in the next segment. Got an interesting thing uh, we want to do coming up, uh, kind of the off a column you wrote this week. The Jalen Hurts versus Kyler Murray... Seems like a thing, weird thing to put them in the same uh, uh, category, but we're going to discuss them both. 215 592 He's Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP.
1: Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way.